0: Remember what it was like to go somewhere back in 2019? Those were good times, weren't they? But I'll bet even back in those months and years behind us, uh, there were places that you didn't look forward to going to. Uh, Places like the dentist office or the tax prep office or maybe going to school to meet uh, the principal uh, because your kid acted up or going to the DMV. Uh, There's probably a lot of places that you probably didn't really enjoy going to uh, back in those days. Well, I'm standing here this morning in probably another one of those places that you and I don't really enjoy going to. Uh, If we're honest, a cemetery, a graveyard is is a place that most of us don't enjoy going to. Cemeteries tend to be places that are awkward and uncomfortable uh, to us. It's kind of like a bagpiper I heard a story about. There's a bagpipe player who was uh, notorious in town for playing gigs and uh, was asked by a local funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. The homeless man had no family or friends, and so the service was to be a, just a pauper cemetery out in the backcountry. And uh, as the bagpipe player was not familiar with the, uh, uh, the backcountry, uh, he got lost. And being a typical male, he didn't stop and ask for directions either. Well, he finally arrived at what he thought was the cemetery an hour late and saw that the funeral director was gone and evidently the hearse was nowhere to be found either. There were only the diggers and the crew left and they were sitting underneath a tree eating their lunch. He felt very badly and he apologized to the men as he walked up to the hole and uh, he went to the side of the grave and looked in and and noticed that the the vault lid had already been put back in place and uh, not knowing what else to do, he just stood by the grave and started to play. Well, the workers saw what was going on, they put down their lunches and began to gather around. He played with all of his heart and soul for the homeless man who had no family or friends. He played like he'd never played before for this homeless man. And as he played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept and he wept, they all wept together. And when he finished, he packed up his, his bagpipes and was starting back to the car. And though his head hung low, his heart was full because he knew he had played with all that he had in honor of this homeless man. And as he opened the door to his car, he heard one of his workers say, I have never seen anything like that before, and I've been putting in septic systems for 20 years. Well, like that bagpipe player, we can feel a little bit awkward in a, in a place like this. Why is that? Why does a place like this that uh, is quiet and peaceful, but Why is this a place that can be so uncomfortable for us to go? I think one of the reasons that this is a place of of goodbyes, and goodbyes are hard for us. The goodbyes we say here are the hardest goodbyes we'll ever say. This is also a place of a little bit of fear. Uh, What's it like to die begins to come to our minds in a place like this. What happens to me when I die? How will I die? And those are scary questions for us to ask. Well, this is also a place, a little bit of anxiety and nervousness. Life is fragile, and it can be snuffed out in, in a, one wrong step or the blink of an eye. And we work hard to keep the thought of, of death far from our minds, but there's just that nervousness that's always lingering in the back of our minds. Places like this certainly, though, bring that to the forefront of our minds. This is also a place of deep sadness. This place represents the the end of so many hopes and dreams and loves and friendships and, and adventures. This is a place where sadness and grief uh, become lifelong companions for us. This is also can be a place of regret. It's a place where we, we think about the things that maybe we wish we would have done, things we wish we would have said, uh, and there's just a thing that kind of eats at us because of that, or, or maybe even worse, there's those things that we wish we wouldn't have done, the things we wish we wouldn't have said, and that kind of It just haunts us in our life. All of those things, but yet the worst part of it all is just the power and the permanence of a place like this. This is the worst part of the whole thing because death always wins. It always has the last word. We can try all the things. We can fight in every way we know how, but it always wins in the end. Well, on this Easter Sunday morning, I would just want to ask a question of us. Is there anything that can change our perspective on a place like this? What would it take for all of those things we just listed to be overcome? To change our attitude and our perspective towards them? Is there anything that you could think of that would transform the way that you think of a place like this? I can think of at least one answer that changes everything. Resurrection. Resurrection changes how we see a place like this. The Bible's teaching on the resurrection of Jesus is a truth that, that transforms even the deepest and darkest parts of our struggle as human beings. Uh, the presented truth of Christ's resurrection changes the way that we, we think of Jesus for sure. He said a lot of bold things about himself and the resurrection is, is that stamp, is that final validation that everything he said was right. Without it, his life would have been one big hoax. But it also changes the way we think about ourselves and our own existence and our own purpose and our struggles and our own death. In so many ways, the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of our faith, holding so many things together in the story of Scripture. The Bible even admits that. Paul writes this in our memory verse in our Core 52 material this week in 1 Corinthians 15:14. Listen to again to what Paul says. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Hear that again. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But the flip side of that is is true as well. If Christ has been raised, then our preaching is meaningful and worthwhile and practical, and, and your faith is meaningful and worthwhile and practical. You see, Christ being raised is helpful to us in so many ways. It is helpful for us to pause and consider why we trust in that truth from Scripture. And there are a lot of angles from which you could look at the resurrection of Jesus and try to build confidence in that event. But if you did your reading for your Core 52 this week, you know that um, that the references from the case for the resurrection by Gary Habermas and Michael Lacona, they shared those four things that, uh, that the book shared. Those four arguments are good ones, um, pretty solid things to think about. Um, let's review them. Number one, that Jesus really died by crucifixion. Both biblical and non-biblical history attest to the fact that Jesus lived and he was crucified in Jerusalem by the Romans. And so he really did die. But the, also, the tomb was empty. Number two, um, there's a lot of hubbub and try to, explanations of, of explaining away why the tomb was empty, but that tomb was empty, and that's what all the commotion and hubbub in Jerusalem was about. Number three, the apostles firmly believed that Jesus appeared to them in a real body. And Number four, the church was born and spread quickly around the Roman world and beyond. And I just like to think about the power of those third and fourth arguments because they make a claim that something of great significance and importance happened early in that first century, very soon after the life of Jesus, that caused the spread of the belief that Jesus was the Son of God who died and rose again and promised to return for his people. Long before there was a Bible, long before even parts of the Bible were composed and brought together, There was a flood of testimony about jesus that went person to person uh, through vast areas of territory it originated in the backwoods of the roman empire in israel and palestine but then it rapidly went everywhere even a thousand miles away to the capital of the roman empire in rome by the middle of the first century in the 40s and 50s a.d so what would cause something like that to happen I think the best explanation is summed up in this little phrase that I hope that maybe you'll remember and and tuck away in your minds as just an encouragement and a reinforcement of our faith. Simply this idea, that a group of people saw something they couldn't unsee and then they couldn't stop talking about it and what it meant. Hear that again. A group of people saw something they couldn't unsee and then they couldn't stop talking about it and what it meant for their lives. Scripturally, in the story of scripture, it looks a little bit like this. In John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, listen to this account. On the evening of that day, that day being resurrection day, Easter Sunday, the day Jesus arose. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Other translations say they were filled with joy in seeing the Lord. So did you see it? As you listen to those verses, a group of people saw something they could not unsee. They saw the Jesus that they just watched die a few days before and buried, now standing alive in physical form, showing his physical body to them. And they couldn't unsee that. And then they couldn't stop talking about it in the days to come and what that meant uh, for them and for the world. And so what was the spark that ignited such a rapid expansion of that truth? It was this simple idea that a group of people saw something they couldn't unsee, and then they couldn't stop talking about it and what it meant. A few years ago, uh, my family was privileged to take a a trip when my kids were little and we got to go to, to Disney World and in, in Orlando and had a great week doing that. As a part of that, there was a scene, one of those places you go to and they recreate some of those famous movie scenes. Uh, and this one happened to be about Indiana Jones, the first Indiana Jones movie, where there's that famous scene where Indiana Jones is on the, around the plane and he's fighting the hulkish large man. and. There's that famous scene that, is sh- that appears in, in lots of different movies, where somebody shoots a bullet at him. They miss him, but they hit the uh, the gallons, uh, the drums of, of gasoline that are stacked up behind, and, and the gasoline begins to pour out of the out of the barrels and, and it begins to flow across the ground. And of course, there's there's an open flame on the other side of the set, and there's just this tension that builds as as the gasoline flows towards that flame, and everything changes when that gasoline hits that flame, and everything goes up in flames. Well, that's exactly what happens here. You've got two things that come together. A group of disciples who were um, who were nothing in and of themselves. They were uneducated, unconnected, under-resourced, very cowardly. But all of a sudden, that comes together with seeing Jesus alive again, and it ignites something inside of them. They were transformed from fearful Cowardly individuals who denied and abandoned Jesus at his arrest and trial just hours before, and they were changed into bold proclaimers of the gospel of the risen Lord. They remained steadfast in the face of imprisonment or torture or martyrdom. In fact, they gained little to nothing by proclaiming this truth. They suffered much, but it's very clear that they sincerely believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. The best explanation we can come up with, I think, is that a group of people saw something they couldn't unsee, and then they couldn't stop talking about it and what it meant. And so the disciples of Jesus were transformed from defeat to delight. These men and women saw something they could not unsee on that Easter morning in a risen Jesus, and it ignited a fire in their life and launched them forward into lives of sharing, of serving, and sacrificing for this Jesus in many ways, that group of Jesus followers could very well be described by those that list we began this, this message with. They were in goodbye mode. They were thinking of, of going back to their old lives and goodbye to Jesus. Fear had filled them. They were hiding because they didn't know what would happen to them. Anxiety and nervousness uh, filled their hearts. Sadness uh, reigned over them. The power and permanence of death was beginning to settle into them. And they were full of regrets. They had made so many mistakes. They'd missed so many things, made so many promises to Jesus, and had let him down. But that Easter morning transformed all of that. Their goodbye was replaced with a hello, peace be with you from Jesus. Fear was replaced with ultimate confidence. Anxiety and nervousness was replaced with, with peace. Sadness was replaced with joy. The power and permanence of death, death was replaced with hope and the regrets are replaced with this victorious grace and love that Jesus came and gave them. Because Jesus was alive again, their lives were now anchored in hope, and they saw the world completely differently, through different lenses. And I love how Brennan Manning, in his book, The Signature of Jesus, describes this this new delight that they had found in these words. He says this, The cry of the Christian is, There's now going to be a great day. Uh, See in that little phrase how everything has changed from defeat and discouragement to now there's going to be a great day. The faithful God who led his children into the promised land, he says, will lead us into the promised land of glory where the victory of Jesus Christ will shine like a neon light in the skies. And angelic trumpets will announce the final harvest. And he finishes that thought with this word. The true Christian is the lover who is separated from his beloved The day of reunion cannot come soon enough. And that's the heart, that's the passion that you see these first disciples going and and sharing with. The the one they loved, Jesus, is now alive and they can't wait to see him again. I love how the book of Acts ends as you play that story out in the lives of these disciples, as as they go everywhere and spread this message. The book of Acts ends with a summary of Paul's life, but I think in in many ways it's a summary of, of the early church proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance." With all boldness and without hindrance. Now does that mean it was all smooth sailing and no resistance? No, not at all. It was anything but that. In fact, opposition and obstacles was mostly all there was. There were reasons for fear and complications at every turn. The mission moved forward not because the circumstances around them were easy or conducive, but because there was an inner compulsion to react to what they had seen and could not unsee. They could not unsee the risen Jesus, and that delighted them. It drove them. It compelled them. It fortified them. It fed them. And it sustained them when things were so hard. They were transformed from defeat to delight and they shared their testimony and teachings uh, in a way that, that continued to root their entire ministry in what they had seen and could not unsee. I just want to read you several verses here. And I want you to listen to their own testimony in their own words. Um, in their own backstory of discouragement and disbelief and even dislike of Jesus in some cases. Listen to these words in, in their own words. Mary Magdalene in John 20 verse 18 her first words after seeing Jesus on resurrection morning and coming back to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Later on that same day, the disciples are gathered in the upper room and, and Thomas happened not to have been there when Jesus had appeared earlier. And they are convinced and they say this in John 20 24. So the disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, you fast forward in the story now. The church has been born, and, and, and everything is, is rolling forward, and, and the ministry is growing. And Peter and John are arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin and uh, the political powers of the day. And they're arrested because they're just preaching this Jesus, and, the, and they want them to stop. But Peter and John answered uh, the powers that be with these words in Acts four nineteen and following. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we can't help it. This is what we have seen. We can't unsee it. We can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Later on, we're introduced to the character of Paul, a former man who hated Jesus and persecuted his church with all the passion he had and energy he had available to him. And he tells us testimony in Acts chapter 22 verse 14, and, and he's quoting Ananias, the man that Jesus had sent uh, to, to Paul to, to explain Jesus to him. And he says this in Acts 22, verse 14, And he, Ananias, said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. And, and Paul's life was launched forward into a life of service by seeing Christ. And it created this radical transformation, this redirection in Paul's life. The Apostle John would begin his beautiful letter of 1 John with these words of encouragement when he would say, That which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Three different times, John bases everything he's doing and, and, and sharing with them on what he had seen and heard. He had seen it. He couldn't unsee it. He couldn't stop talking about it and what it meant for our life. And finally, Peter, in Second Peter chapter 1, would say this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We could look at others, but I think you get the point. Each of the early proclaimers of Jesus, each early leader in the church was moved forward into that ministry with a fire that was ignited in them because they were not able to unsee the incredible thing they saw in this resurrected Jesus. And so where does that leave us then? I think the good news of all of that is that our, our own faith now rests on the confident testimony of those who saw that which they could not unsee. And they were willing to give up everything, to suffer anything, and to share with anyone who would listen to this beautiful truth. And it's my prayer that our, our lives today would echo some of that passion, a lot of that passion. I love the way that Pastor Rick actually a few years ago summarized the effect that our belief in the resurrection testimony should have upon us. I've always remembered this little phrase, that because Jesus is alive, we have nothing to hide, we have nothing to fear, and we have nothing to lose. Just think about those phrases. We have nothing to hide. I love the fact that each one of these early witnesses of Jesus did not come to Jesus pristine and pure and with no faults. They all came with regrets, with failures, with sins, with weaknesses and insecurities. Each one found grace in the resurrected Jesus. And the new life in Jesus overshadowed and wiped away all that was flawed and broken in their life. And each of us has a past too. And many of us don't enjoy the process of of being open and honest, showing God our, our faults and our past. But know this, that the same God who transformed all of those broken people and sent them out as messengers is still in the business of transforming each one of us. You don't need to hide from him. He saw what you did. He knows all you do. But he also knows that he has a way to remedy that. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul again praises the beauty of the resurrection, but the whole salvation event in these words. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Hear that again: that Christ died for sin and was raised to life. An empty tomb on Sunday only matters because the cross was occupied on Friday. The price that He paid is any is bigger than any mess that you might've made in your life. You have nothing to hide because God has an answer to your problem. You don't have to hide from him. So there's nothing to hide, but you also don't have to be afraid of your future. He has dealt with your past. And so your future can be one of of freedom and, and deliverance and hope because we have nothing to fear. Fear can only be present where hope is absent, but Jesus brings us hope. The first thing that Jesus said to his disciples and and those that that saw him oftentimes was, don't be afraid. See, we stand in this place and, and there's sadness and there's discouragement. But in this place, in light of the resurrection, death doesn't get the last word anymore. Death has nothing on you if you are Christ. You have nothing to be afraid of. And that doesn't mean that life will be easy Life is hard. We're in the midst of a very hard time, and you know that life is hard. We hurt, we grieve, we struggle, but nothing should allow us we should never allow fear to have a prominent constant place in our hearts. We must leverage the power of the resurrection to find hope. Listen to what Romans 8:18 8, says to us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Man, think about what resurrection makes possible, what your future looks like because of resurrection. And allow that to kind of reign over the struggles of our present day. As a sports fan, I have been missing so many things this spring, from basketball to golf to dozens of other things. But I'll admit that every once in a while I'll stop and I'll I'll turn on the TV and I'll turn on ESPN or some other sports channel that's replaying old games. And we watch those differently than we do a live sporting event, don't we? I know the outcome of most of those events as I watch them. And so I don't fret as much when my team is losing because I know where this is going. I know how the Super Bowl plays out even though it looks bad for a long time. I know how my team is going to end this game because it's going to end out well, usually. Unless it's a Mizzou game and they probably found a way to lose that game. But over and over, when we know the end, we know the outcome, it's different. And we watch that differently. We feel that differently. And so because we know the end, because of resurrection, uh, that gives us a reason to have nothing to fear. We don't have to live in fear. And ultimately, we'd have nothing to lose. If we know that we're going to live after we die, we can be fully alive now before we die. What we do today is important because we know there is a tomorrow tomorrow we know there's someone who holds us who holds tomorrow who holds the future and we live in a world that's uh, crying out for something solid for something real none of us are completely satisfied with the way things are because we live in a world of brokenness of injustice of 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 uh, slavery and all kinds of things that are broken and and wrong in our worlds the world needs something and we as Christ's people can step into that void and that when you fully embrace the truth of resurrection, it gives you a reason to get up and to live for and to live to a higher standard. Again, just as those early people of sharing, of serving, of sacrificing. And anything we do in Christ, we know that it matters and it, it, it will ultimately be okay. Anything we let go of here. And I'll finish with this because I love this story. Back in the Winter Olympics in 2018, uh, Chloe Kim was taking part in the, the half pipe Uh, events and in in that event you get three jumps but after everybody had gone all the competitors had gone they tallied the scores and it was her turn to go again and they realized that she'd already won because her score on the first run was was enough to win the competition and so that third run was purely for fun and so instead of holding back she approached that with nothing to lose and so what she did, if you go back and watch that, uh, she pulled off the very first back-to-back 1080, that, which is basically the idea you go up in the air and you spin around three times and still land. And uh, she was able to get to the bottom. And, and she even got a better score because she did something that had never been done. And her comments and her thoughts was like, well, if you've already won, why not go for it? Why not put yourself out there? Why not serve? Be bigger, bolder, and braver. And that's what resurrection does for us. It gives us a reason to have nothing to hide from the Lord and nothing to fear and nothing to lose. So on this day, um, it's my hope and my prayer for each of us that we would find that courage, that we would find that confidence in in the resurrection of Christ, that it might transform even how we walk through this difficult time of quarantine and and fear and struggle in our our culture, Um, but that we would be a people of peace and calmness, of service, of love, um, as we pursue um, Christ in this time. Would you pray with me, please? Our God and our Father, we are thankful for your hope. We are thankful for the peace. We are thankful for the courage that comes to us when, when we look above the fray and the, the fear and the discouragement of our present circumstances and we, we remind ourselves that Jesus is alive. He reigns over all. He sits and he prepares and he works through us now. And there's a great future, but there's also can be a great presence as we give ourselves to the the ministry of sharing and and serving and sacrificing for him. And so, Father, would you give us that same courage, that courage that lived inside of those who, who saw that which they could not unsee and that we would have a faith like that in our day, in our time. And so may that be ours and may you do that work within us. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.